Hey everyone, welcome into this edition of the End Zone Podcast. Jake Wallace, Lindsey Goff with you on a Monday after a pretty rough weekend for uh, sports fans in the state of Georgia. It was, it was actually a really bad weekend uh, for, for Georgia sports teams. Uh, I'm pretty sure Georgia Southern, the only, the only Georgia sports team to win this weekend. No, no the Falcons did too, the but Falcons that's actually, won. yeah, that might actually be a bad thing. Uh, yeah. if they, if they go on a the run one here game after that the, you guys probably needed to lose. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we, we won't talk too much about that. Uh, we will get into what we saw last Friday in the high school front. Um, some really good games, some games that came down to the wire, some games with major consequence across the state, uh, across Georgia and in South Carolina as well. And, and Lindsay, I'll say that the team that that's going to stand out from this week for me is the Appling County Pirates. One of 30 teams left in the state of Georgia, five and zero or better, a 28, 21 win over Benedictine. All five of the victories for Appling County have come against teams from larger classifications. And this was a thriller. This was, I was there for, for this one. It felt like a state playoff game, that chippiness that kind of went throughout the whole game. Um, two, two really good teams that wanted to beat each other. And, and it was chippy and it was, there was a lot of passion and some big hits and some big plays. It was a really fun football game that felt a lot like a state playoff game. Appling County gets the win. Uh, late Jalen Johnson on a throwback pass for a game-winning touchdown with about 50 seconds to play gave the Pirates the lead. Benedictine drove back down the field. Um, Holden Garner and the Cadets intercepted in the end zone uh, pretty much as time expired to wrap that one up. But spoke with with head coach Rick Tomberlin, uh after the game that that throwback pass is something they do. I won't I won't say what the call for it is. He told me, but I don't want to you know abuse that let everybody else know but this team continues to win and and I said Friday it could be a show me win for the Pirates to to win and they did they did for the rest of the state I think yeah I think they opened a lot of eyes and that's two straight losses for BC uh something I'm sure that they're not thrilled about and um we've got Appling and Long County this Friday night to open up some region play yeah and you know, the Pirates didn't move anywhere in the polls, which I found a little surprising, but Class AAA is absolutely loaded. Um, but the way it's setting up this schedule for, for Appling County, you don't want to take anything away from, from Long County or Tattnall County and, or Brantley County, who the, the Pirates have over the next three games, but Appling County is going to be favored in, in all three of those games and, and should be rightfully so. And if they can get through that undefeated, it sets up a, a – a clash in the last week of the year with Pierce County over in Baxley for, with the region title on the line. Uh, those are two programs that don't like each other very much. And it could be a region championship game in Baxley last game of the year. If everything holds the way we, we think it should. Another team that, that had a, had a fun Friday night. That was the Southeast Bullock Yellow Jackets, 21, seven winners over Liberty County. Uh, Lindsay, a region title game in mid-October, the Yellow Jackets, the region champs for the first time since 1994, uh, now 4-2 and two overall. And the unique thing with this one is now what? We, I, I spoke with Barrett Davis, the, the head coach of SEB. You're going to hear that in just a minute, and he kind of breaks some of that down. But 
it was a celebration in Brooklyn Friday. This is a program that um, has kind of been on the up and up for the last few years, especially under Barrett Davis. Now they get to celebrate and they know they're the one seed. They'll be at home at least the first two rounds of the state playoffs. Yeah, 1994, I was one, which means these kids weren't even born. So <laughs> something interesting and uh, new for them, I guess. But uh, they're off until November 6th, which is interesting and different. Very 2020. Um, you know, how do you handle something like that? Do you come out rusty after a few weeks off? It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, that's something that, that we're going to hear right here in this interview with, with Barry Davis as he talks about, you know, we're, we're working on some things we're trying to put together because, like he said, he, did, he didn't want to have that rustiness. You don't want to take three weeks off at this point in the year. So we'll get right into that. Here's the head coach of the region champion, Southeast Bullock Yellow Jackets, Barry Davis. Coach, congratulations. You woke up Saturday morning as a region champion in the middle of October what was the mood going into Friday's game like? What did you see out of your team, and, and what does it mean to be a region champ for the first time in 26 years? Well, I mean, we've – I think our team has been pretty focused all week, and, you know, we've had so many ups and downs this season with schedule changes and everything, and it's just – it's one of those things where um, we tell our kids to control what you can control, and we told them, you know, this one game is, uh, you know, it's a winner, winner take all type environment. And I thought our kids prepared well all week, and we made some uh, defensive and offensive changes with uh, personnel. Um, not a whole lot scheme wise, but um, just made some changes that I think our kids were excited about. And they they showed up Friday night and they played for four quarters. I mean, we had we had uh, two or three fumbles, um, and we had three fumbles in the first half. Two were in the red zone, um, so. You know, we were able to just kind of look past that and, and keep working. And, um, you know, we made stops when we needed to defensively, but it, it felt great. Our, our community is, is very excited about, uh, you know, how we've been trying to build things over the past few years here. And uh, I think that our, our kids and our coaches and the community just uh, have something they're, they're proud of, and it feels great to be a number one seed. I know it's only, you know, halfway through the season, but uh, it, it feels good to be able to go ahead and know that and, um, be able to focus on yourselves for a little bit, just getting better for the rest of the season. Yeah, we'll get into that in just a second. But this one game, winner take all kind of scenario, you've been in these situations before, but when kind of the entire season comes down to one game, how do you keep 15 through 18 year olds focused on the task at hand and not letting it kind of get out of hand in terms of magnitude and, and what it means? Well, I think that we've uh, prepared ourselves well um, by being able to schedule a bunch of non-region opponents. And um, we've got three 6A opponents on the schedule. We've only played one so far um, with Grovetown. And then uh, Washington Wilts, the uh, top 10 ranked team, and we knew they were very good. And so being able to get some teams and mix things up and seeing different schemes throughout the season kind of prepared us for this one game. And we, we've known this for over a month now. Um, so. You know, we've been able to focus on that and kind of regroup and tell our kids we've got to get ready, win or lose through all these first few games. That's the game that, you know, actually means something for us. So um, I think our kids were, were hungry, especially after um, getting beat the week before by Washington Wilkes and um, being ready to just get back to work. So, um, you know, I think our kids were, were hungry and focused and they realized it was a one game, winner take all. And our, our kids played hard for four quarters and we had a lot of talks throughout the week of, um, staying focused and had some uh, speakers come in and just kind of talk to our kids and 
you know, we, we taught our kids mainly about living in the moment, not worrying about um, what's what happened last week or what's going to happen next week. Um, but just living in that moment, play by play and not letting anything be too big for us. And I think our kids, have, uh, especially our seniors, they did a great job um, Friday night. And I think the past two seasons, we've we've had to pay, play three games in nine days, three games in eight days and uh, back to back seasons for um, elements out of our control. So, um, you know, this was this was just another hurdle that we had to get ready for. And I think our kids did a great job with it. First region championship since 1994. What was the scene like after the game? What was the scene like in the locker room and, and just kind of the celebration? Um, I, I just told our kids, uh, I, I think once we realized that, um, you know, it was a two score game and we were able to get that last first down and kind of put it out of reach then. And um, you could see the excitement on the, the sidelines starting to build. So it was just a, it was a great moment for our kids and uh, coaches and how hard they've worked. And uh, you know, I, I, the water was cold, I can tell you that, after the game. So uh, I think some kid hit me in the head with a Powerade cup too. So uh, we were, uh, you know, they were, they were throwing stuff and it was just, it was great. Um, it was a great feeling and something these kids will remember for the rest of their lives. They were able to leave their legacy, something that happened, hasn't happened in uh, 25, 26 years, something like that. And, um, you know, we were, this is only a group, uh, I think I was the fourth head coach or third head coach, one of those, I think it was the fourth head coach in uh, our 50 plus year school history to, to win a region title. So it was a very special moment for me as a head coach being my first one. And um, our coaches and then players and community just uh, being able to savor it. Uh, you know, I walked in the locker room and there was, they were partying like it was 1994 is what it looked like. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was a good and surreal moment, just something, a memory that we'll all cherish forever. Looking now kind of at the rest of your schedule and, and now it's kind of wait and see for the, for the state playoffs, only a couple games left on the schedule. How do you keep that momentum and keep that energy for another month? Well, we've we've got um, we've got a down week this week. We had Bryan County, but they canceled on us again. So, um, you know, we're going we're going to use this week as a bye week to kind of focus on us for a few days, and we're on fall break, let some guys get healed up. Um, but we're we've we've already got a couple games. Uh, we've got Evans and Lakeside left that are both six A opponents, and uh, that's kind of my old stomping grounds from the when I was up there. But uh, Evans is a great team. Lakeside's a great team, and you know they'll have uh, tons of depth and talent. And that'll be good test for us. And um, you know we're actually looking at a couple more opponents to try and pick up because when Brian canceled that, knocked us down to to eight eight game, back to eight games. We had nine, now we're about to eight. So, um, but we've got a couple opponents we're in talks with right now to try and get one or two more games to get up get up to nine or ten. So that way we're not having a two games in the next five weeks. Uh, that wouldn't be good for playoff uh, purposes or morale, I don't think. So, um, you know, we're, we're going to try and fill that and just get ready for what we can. We've got an idea, I think, of what we'll see region-wise. Um, we already know what region we're matched up with, and we've got an idea of two or three teams that could be that um, four seed for us. So we, we're kind of keeping our eyes on that over the next two weeks. I think that'll kind of unfold and give us a better picture, and we can start preparing them. So, Lindsay, Yellow Jackets, region champs, first time since 1994. They're now going to just kind of the waiting game for the state playoffs. They'll obviously play a few more games between now and then, but they know their playoff fate. They'll be the, the one seed out of that region. They'll be at home the first round and the second round if they get through that first round game. And that's got to give them a lot of confidence and a lot of comfort kind of moving forward over the next few weeks. Absolutely. And, uh, Another team we saw on Friday night, or I saw, uh, Hilton Head Island. They got a 24-10 victory over James Island. They are now 2-0. Their season started 
South Carolina started late. Hilton Head started even later due to some COVID issues within the school and the program. Uh, their defense played really, really well on Friday night. Yeah, six turnovers. They caused a safety as well. Um, and as you mentioned, are now 2-0. and And only playing five games on the schedule right now is Hilton Head. And the next two are going to be pretty critical, including this Friday night, uh, a visit to May River in, in region play. Uh, the Sharks looking to stay in the race after losing to Beaufort and can't afford another loss. Uh, so you know that that May River is going to be ready and, and Hilton Head's going to look to knock them off and continue this run. Uh, but yeah, that defense was was lights out Friday night for the Seahawks, and they'll try to continue to do that uh, this Friday night when they pay a visit to Bluffton and, and take on the May River Sharks. A few others of note, Jeff Davis, 41-14 winners over Bacon County in their home opener, ending the Red Raiders' four-game win streak. The Yellow Jackets and Hazelhurst now 5-0. We mentioned Appling County, one of 30 teams uh, to be at least 5-0. Jeff Davis, one of those 30 as well, obviously. And then Whale Branch, 33-14 winners at Cross on Friday night. The Warriors claim the 7-1A region championship. And they'll play on Thursday night at home. We'll be up there to see the, the Warriors, the new region champion Warriors for that one. All right, Lindsay, let's talk about what this college football weekend was. And uh, we had the, the game of the year so far to date, number three, Georgia visiting number two, Alabama. We had it eight o'clock on WTOC. We had our pregame special. There was a lot of hype, a lot of anticipation for this one. And I would say for the most part, it lived up to it, a 41-24 win for Alabama, the Crimson Tide outscoring Georgia 21-0 in the second half to pull away and get that victory. What, what was your takeaway from this one, Lindsay? I mean, you and I were watching the game in the sports office. What, what did you see and what did you take away from it? I think we see why Stetson Bennett may have been the backup that whole time. Uh, three interceptions in the second half. You just two, two interceptions. Yeah, two interceptions in the second half. The three interceptions in the game. Yeah, two in the second half. Yeah, I mean, in a game like that, you just can't give Alabama any kind of wiggle room because they're going to take advantage of it. And I'm sure Bama was probably playing inspired since they had uh, Nick Saban back after a positive COVID test in the middle of the week, and then he was able to get those negative tests, come back, and coach the game. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it was kind of tit for tat, I think in the first half and then Alabama just kind of did what they do and took over that game. Yeah, it was, it was a, a series, just really a couple series that, that changed this game or at least the course of this game, you know, Alabama scores that long 90 yard touchdown pass to, to Waddle to make it 27, 24. And then Georgia kind of came right back with an answer, a long pass to, to get Georgia's right back on the attack, but an interception off a batted ball uh, as they're going in to the end zone. Bama scores five plays later. And just like that, it was 24-20 Georgia. Now it's 34-24 Alabama. And then uh, another interception, another touchdown, and that game's over at that point. Uh, you know, it's 41-24, and Georgia just didn't have an answer there. 
I thought if you're a Georgia fan, there's a lot still to be encouraged about. Um, you know, this team still controls its destiny. There's still, a, you know, the ability to play Alabama again in Atlanta, possibly for the SEC championship, possibly. But I think it did prove that Georgia's offense probably still needs to find another gear. Um, whether that's with, with Bennett or JT Daniels or whoever, I don't know if it was necessarily the fault of, of Stetson Bennett necessarily, uh, but this offense has to be more explosive. And, and Kirby Smart and, and Todd Munkin said that all offseason, and they simply weren't, at least not to the, the level that Alabama was. And I think it showed just kind of where Georgia's offense needs to be if they want to compete for a national title this year, because Alabama's got it, Clemson's got it, and you got to figure that a team like Ohio State is probably going to have that level of explosiveness as well. And so Georgia's defense played, I thought, relatively well, considering who they were going up against. They looked gassed in the fourth quarter. But I thought, for the most part, Georgia played pretty well across the board. They just got beat by a really, really good Alabama team who played better than they did Saturday night. So the dogs will now have a, a week off to think about it, to get everything fixed and corrected and lick their wounds. And then they get Kentucky on Halloween up in Lexington. And, and you don't want to let down in that game. You don't want to, to show up flat. You don't want to let the stars of a 17 point loss at Alabama to haunt you for another week. And so I think Kirby and Georgia will come out motivated. I think they'll come out spirited against Kentucky and they need to, because as we said, they still control everything they want in this college football season. As a Kentucky grad, I don't want to see a spirited dogs team <laughs> in Lexington, but uh, unfortunately, I think that's going to be the case. Uh, Kentucky coming off an upset win at Tennessee. Um, their first win in Knoxville in my lifetime. So, um, you know, you hope that the cats aren't riding that high, but it's very possible. You got a few weeks to think about it, so we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Clemson uh, went to went to Bobby Dodd Stadium, historic Grant Field, and laid the hammer down on Georgia yeah. Tech, seventy three to seven, the final score over the Yellow Jackets. This one was actually tied seven seven at one point. Jeff Sims to, to Jalen Camp in the first quarter, and then Clemson went off and rallied off sixty six consecutive points. They led fifty two seven at halftime, everyone knew pretty much what this was going to be. I don't think anyone expected this kind of score, but I think everybody expected Clemson to come out and show exactly who they are and, and remind everyone that Georgia Tech is a very young team that's still learning to play, still learning to, to figure out this college football thing right now. I do yeah. wonder a little bit, and I, I thought this kind of during the game and, and during the score, you know, we had heard all the talk kind of going into the, the Alabama-Georgia game that whoever won that game should be the number one team and, and is going to be the most deserving of being the number one team. I wonder a little bit if Dabo and Clemson didn't want to remind folks that, hey, we're pretty good over here too. They won't admit it. They'll never. I don't think they'll ever say, you know, hey, we're going to – we want to hold on to that number one ranking – but I, I do wonder if Clemson and, and the Tigers and Davo maybe wanted to make a little bit of a statement and remind everybody that they're playing some pretty good football over there too. Trevor Lawrence, 404 yards, five touchdown passes, a pretty good troll job out of the Clemson football Twitter account. 
uh, tech is really kind of taken over the uh, the 404. They're using that in a lot of their branding and everything. It's painted on the side of their field. Uh, the Clemson football program took a picture of that 404 and asked how many passing yards Trevor Lawrence had that Ooh. day. Also of note from that that blowout win, um, Whale, Whale Branch alum Niles Pinckney, a defensive lineman for Clemson, scores his first ever career touchdown, a rushing touchdown from one yard out. Uh, did a little bit of the uh, the Willie Beeman dance from uh, any given Sunday to celebrate his first career touchdown. But I uh, thought that was pretty cool to see a, a an area standout uh, get to do something that's not always the most common thing in college football. Big man touchdown uh, for now. You'll love to see it. Yeah. South Carolina over Auburn, 30-22. The first win for the Gamecocks over the Tigers since 1933. Former Bradwell standout Kevin Harris with two touchdowns in the win, including uh, one that pretty much put the game on ice for Carolina. He's taken over as that lead back, and that was a huge win for Will Muschamp in South Carolina to get after a, a pretty rough start to the season for South Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. A big win for that program. Um, had a couple rough years. And Harris is really becoming a huge part, an important part of that Gamecock offense. Um, so that's fun for us to see. Yeah, and then over in Statesboro, Georgia Southern shuts out UMass 41-0. Shy Wirtz had four first-half touchdowns, three through the air, one on the ground. And then uh, Wesley Kennedy with a big day running the ball, 106 yards on six carries. He also scored a touchdown. Um, first time that Georgia's shutout opponent since 2017. We talked to uh, a couple of the Eagles today, and they were mentioning just kind of how, how important it is to get a shutout, what it does for your confidence kind of moving forward, but also saying we got to remain humble. We can't let this get our heads too big. And for good reason, Southern on the road, uh, this Saturday, jumping back into Sunbelt play to visit Coastal Carolina, a ranked Coastal Carolina team, number 25 in the country, all the Chanticleers. That's a noon game uh, this Saturday in Conway. And if Southern can get that win, here they are still hanging around right in the thick of the Sunbelt uh, race, as they always seem to be this year. They always seem to go on this run uh, this kind of this time of year. They start to find who they are offensively and Eagle fans hoping that's going to be the case again in 2020. Yeah, they mentioned after the game um, Saturday that they wanted to win all four quarters. So while it was a dominant performance and um, they were able to put in some second stringers in the fourth quarter, it was still important uh, to not let the Minutemen score and to continue to dominate. And uh, they were able to do that, play inspired and not be complacent and that's something that they're really going to have to carry over uh when they head to conway on saturday um you can't give a ranked team like that an inch because they will take a mile so that should be a, a really fun one up near merle beach uh saturday afternoon uh george southern and coastal carolina that's going to do it for this episode of the End Zone Podcast. We'll have another one coming to you later this week. An End Zone edition of the WTOC Sports Podcast will be breaking down uh, some of Friday's biggest games, letting you know what we'll have on the End Zone that Friday night. We'll also be hearing from some of the coaches and players that make high school football great in this area. 
For Lindsay, I'm Jake. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you later.